dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Pippen. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. On today's episode, we've got a good old-fashioned pick show with Jason Hall joining us to share his renewable stocks basket. Jason, welcome back on the podcast. Awesome to have you on. I just want to say at this minute, I'm I'm sitting on the edge of my chair because I can't listen to my beloved Atlanta Braves play their second uh, game two of the of the of the wild card series. So I'm I'm on pins and needles right now. You know, there's not enough. If you're a sports fan right now, there's not enough time in the day. Literally, you've got baseball playoffs. You've got NFLs up and running. NBA's in the finals. College football's back, which uh, you know I, I know I could spend you know hours and hours talking about uh, this week with Alabama football. But our topic this week, as we said, is uh, renewable energy. Before we dive into this basket, Jason, I just want to ask you as you put together uh, this list of stocks, what criteria do you look for in a renewable energy investment, and what what stands out to you in that sector as, as things to go for in an investment? So, you know, a couple of things. I think number one, we we all know it's it's there's no getting around the fact that renewables are gonna grow and they're gonna continue to take global share of of electricity production. Um, whether you're powering transportation or it's it's powering buildings and industrial operations, that's gonna continue to happen, right? But it's really easy to get caught up in that excitement and and invest in companies that are far more cyclical because as much as there's growth, there's parts of the industry that are still exposed to the extreme demand cycles that can shift from, from year to year. So try to find companies that have competitive advantages that protect themselves against those cycles. So companies that can generate consistent steady cash flows is really good. Find companies that have some technological advantage that gives them a competitive advantage that's durable. Um, so th- those are some of the things that I really, really focus on and not getting too caught up in and, and uh, commodity sides of the business, find the companies that can benefit from that commodity side. So that's, you know, that's something that, that we're going to talk a, a lot about with two, two of the first stocks that we, that we talk about when we get into the basket. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at, at energy in general, the big thing you worry about, whether it's renewable or, or anywhere else, is staying away from that commodity cycle, that cyclicality. How can we get steady cash flows over time? Because sometimes, you know, these stocks can be really, really difficult to hold, even if it's a if, even if it's a great company with this with this crazy volatility. And renewables is such a developing space; it's really hard to predict uh, uh, the future. So when you can find some of that stability, that really makes for an attractive uh, investment uh, in this space. So, so without further ado, we'll dive into uh, this first. Stock on the list. We've talked about a bunch on the podcast in the past. That's Brookfield Renewable. That's BEPC is the corporate ticker. Uh, if you want, if you're interested in owning partnership shares, which are still out there, that's ticker BEP. Jason, what can you tell us about Brookfield Renewable? So this is whenever we talk about renewables, this 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 is consistently the first company that I talk about. It's it's uh, it. I think this is my largest single investment now. I think it's finally grown between growing in between dividend reinvestments and between new cash that I've added to buy shares. This is my largest single investment. And the reason why is because Brookfield Renewable, it's part of that Brookfield family of of, of companies. This is their arm that owns uh, hydroelectric dams, wind and solar <clears throat> energy generating uh, facilities. And then they sell the power on these long-term contracts that generate consistent steady cash flows. And the reason why this one always tends to flow to the top is they're just so very, very good at capital allocation. And that's so important in this business because you're selling a commodity, right? You're selling 
power. And yes, there are benefits to the renewables aspect, especially outside of the US. You get into other parts of the world and there are more regulations and things that can can help make renewables more competitive. But they figured out how to just make money, right? Levelize cost of power and make money in all three of the major sources of renewable energy. They're just really, really good at buying assets at great values uh, and, and generating meaningful returns and then passing those returns on to investors. So that's that's why it's always at the top for me. I mean, they have a goal. For, for example, here's one of their primary goals when it comes to returning value to investors is to grow the distribution uh, dividend, to grow it every year at around eight or 9%. That's their goal is to grow that payout every year about that amount. And that's, and they, they, they beat that just about every year consistently outperform that goal. So that tells you their focus is on making sure that they own the right assets. They can predictably, predictably generate cash flows that they can return back to investors on a consistent basis. Yeah, I think one thing that, that jumps out whenever I look at Brookfield Renewable, I know a lot of folks think about renewable energy and they want to jump straight to wind and solar. Those are really exciting. I actually get really excited about their hydroelectric assets because those uh, are you know, you don't have to deal with the sun coming up and the wind being out. I mean, obviously, it depends on it depends on on water flows and things like that. But also, you don't have the intermittency problem uh, nearly as much because you've got built in storage, right? When you put a dam in there, that that's basically a battery, and so it's got it's got some of it's these base load, right? Exactly, right. Right. And so it doesn't have the dependability problems. And so you've got this ability to take those cash flows that are really predictable and steady over time and then reinvest those into this growing renewable wind area, which this is a business that has a lot, a strong track record of allocating capital. As you said, I mean, there's a lot of companies in this space that are in this yield co demographic. Is that really that the capital allocation acumen really what makes Brookfield stand apart for you? It really is. And I think here's what I go back to. If you go back to Brookfield Renewable five years ago, you know, more than 80% of their of their cash flows came from hydroelectric. Um, and then maybe three years or so ago, they made a substantial inv- investment in Terraform Power to acquire that, which was wind and solar. It was They were entirely wind and solar. They acquired a majority stake of Terraform Power, which they recently rolled into their business. To me, that was a huge signal that it's time you could that when when Brookfield jumped into wind and solar, it meant that there was money to be made. Because again, that capital allocation thing. Now, if you look at their business, I think it was through the end of, of I don't know if it's the end of last year or the most recent quarter, but hydroelectric is about two thirds of its business now, down from eighty percent, because it's grown its wind and solar business, which make up that other third now, primarily through that Terraform Power acquisition that it's now rolled in. So again, they are just the best when it comes to capital allocation. They don't buy an asset to grow. They lose deals all the time. And they talk about the deals they, they lose on their on their earnings calls because the, the, the message they want to send is that we will we won't buy anything. We will buy the right assets at the right price. Absolutely. And so you've got this capital allocation story with, with, with a strong past track record of performance I have in my notes over the past five years on a total return basis. That includes your dividends uh, being reinvested in the company. The stock is up 250%. And then you look at, as we've mentioned a lot of times in the past, the, the long uh, a reinvestment opportunity into renewables as the energy transition carries out. Brookfield Renewable, with their expertise, uh, puts them in, in, a, in a good spot to take advantage of that. Uh, moving on, to the next company on your list, a little bit smaller, but but a similar company uh, to Brookfield Renewable is Atlantic Sustainable Infrastructure, ticker AY, because it's formerly known as Atlantica Yield. Jason, what can you tell us about Atlantica Sustainable Infrastructure? Yeah, so I started following Atlantica two or three years ago. Um, our, our good colleague, uh, Matt Delalo actually brought it across my radar 
uh, when he started paying a little bit more attention to it. And it's it's a much smaller business. You know, it's about a three billion dollar uh, business compared to closer to nine billion for, uh, or excuse me, closer to about seven billion for Brookfield Renewable. And and I think it's an interesting uh, business to look at. Number one, because it is smaller, and, and I think it can be a little bit more nimble. Uh, but it has some things that that I like about it to compare to to Brookfield. Number one, and I, I took it took me a little bit of time before I I bought. I followed the business for about a year before I invested. But what I like is that it has a pretty solid sponsor. Um, Algonquin uh, Power is its 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 largest investor. It's the controlling investor, and it's a Canadian um, utility uh, that acquired. Uh, its stake from Abengoa, which is a Spanish utility, and hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Abengoa kind of had had some troubles, and and it it just it was, I guess the best way to put it, Atlantica was not really getting the attention that it needed. And now I think it has a much more financially strong backing company, and and its sponsor with with Algonquin. Algonquin has done an incredible job of allocating capital itself since it's since it was uh, founded a few decades ago. And it just puts it in a really great position to use um, Atlantica as a way to develop and 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 monetize renewable energy assets. So it's it's just a kind of an interesting growth story. Maybe you could say it's like a almost it could be a younger version of Brookfield Renewable, right? So I think that's one of the things that I think that it's interesting. Now I think there's other some other things that I like about it is that its business is a little bit different too. So it doesn't own any hydroelectric. And that's just more a, a product of how it was founded, mainly in Europe, right? Fo- focusing on solar and wind, but it also owns some some natural gas. They call it, I think they call it efficient natural gas. It's mostly newer, highly efficient natural gas power production. It owns a small amount of power transmission, and it also owns a small amount of water desalinization. So it has a little bit more optionality in terms of the the the, the core competency of the things that the company has found out that they're pretty good at developing. So it has different ways that it can look to grow its business. And um, I just think it's, this is the kind of area where you don't have to bet on one horse, right? You don't have to make just one investment. And as much as I think Brookfield is the top dog and probably will continue to be, I think there's going to be so many winners. And I think um, Atlantica is just a great, small, well-run, well-partnered, well-structured yield co that has enormous opportunity to, to expand. Yeah, you, you mentioned that that European uh, aspect of the business. And we're, we'll mention a few companies that have aspects in Europe, and there's a few reasons for that. The regulatory environment is a little bit more predictable uh, in Europe. They really have things a little bit more sketched out than here in the U.S. A lot of times you'll hear U.S. investors talk about, well, if XYZ happens in the election in the U.S., and that'll be a huge catalyst uh, uh, for, for renewable energy companies. A lot of that stuff has kind of already happened in, in Europe, and you don't really have that that question mark of, of what's going to happen um, politically. There, there already is that that mandate there. And so so that is, that is something that's attractive um, for a lot of these companies. The one thing that, as you mentioned, that the desalinization thing, it's interesting how big they said that opportunity is. They said they think it can be a $26.8 billion market opportunity uh, uh, by 2025. Where does that plug in to, to their operations relative to the renewable aspect of the business? Yeah, it's it's a very small part of the business. And actually, it's it's interesting because it's something that is a little bit of a risk for Brookfield is with climate change, Brookfield's uh, hydroelectric business did did struggle a little bit because rainfall wasn't is strong in certain areas and its hydroelectric didn't generate its normal level of output last year. The flip side of that is 
<laughs> water security is a major, major concern for, for the 21st century. You know, the global middle class is going to add about a billion people. The global population is going to grow by about a billion people over the next you know 10 or 12 years. And a lot of those people are going to live in coastal areas that they don't have access to fresh water. They don't have access to clean water. So simply meeting the need for this large growing urban population is going to require more types of water desalinization. I, I live in Southern California. I live about an hour from Santa Barbara. The city of Santa Barbara, a couple decades ago, built a desalinization plant, never turned it on. They just spent a substantial, you know, couple tens of millions of dollars to bring it back online because access to water is an issue in North America in a lot of places too. You know, it's right on the coast. It's it's essentially we're essentially Mediterranean desert. There's no groundwater up there. They get like 20 inches of rain a year. Access to water is a really big deal and Abengoa is or excuse me, Atlantica is going to be positioned to take advantage of that because they're already in a lot of those markets, right? And I think that's really important. Yeah, it's an interesting opportunity uh, to keep on your radar as, you know, the world changes and develops and uh, and we move into the future. Uh, this isn't just a problem in Ethiopia, right? I mean, this is a problem in in everywhere in the world. A lot of de- developed places are, are going to run into water security problems. Yeah, so that, that might be a whole podcast, Jason. We need to, we need to write that down uh, as maybe, maybe <laughs> something it. to go into. Um, so moving on, that, that European a- aspect I mentioned, that moves us on to our, our next company on the list. That's Vestas Wind Systems. That's a, They have an ADR, VWDRY is the ticker. What can you tell us about Vestas, Jason? Vestas is one of my favorite renewable energy companies, and I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, let the cat out of the bag. We're actually in our basket we're putting together here. We're not going to have any solar uh, panel makers um, because that's a really heavily commoditized business, and there's a lot of competitors, and it can be really, really tough to make money. Uh, Vestas uh, is a huge uh, market share leader in onshore wind turbines. I think they can command around 15% of uh, of global market share of onshore onshore turbines, um, and they're basically the only pure play that's a publicly traded company, and they they happen to be one of the best. They're just fantastic at it. They're based in Denmark, I think. Uh, yes, I believe so. They're a Danish company, and um, I've I've owned shares for probably five or six years, maybe longer now. And the thing that I like about Vestas, right? So. Just again, to compare it a little bit to solar panels, solar panels are, is so highly competitive and commoditized. There's just not as much competition in, in, in the wind turbine business because these things are gigantic. Uh, the costs of, of competitive entry are substantial. Um, you, you can't just build a factory in China and send wind turbines everywhere around the world and compete because these blades are 300 feet long, Right. You can't you can't fill up a container ship with those and and send them to 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 Mexico or, or North America um, like you can with solar panels, right? So that that by itself makes this, I think, a little more attractive business for returns. And what I like about Siemens or excuse me about Vestas is that they've figured out because they were really cyclical for for a number of years too. Like peaks and valleys were big and they had really high fixed costs. And when that utility scale demand that can change from one year to the next would fall off. They would go from from a cash cow to just bleeding money. Just like you think about some of these steel makers that when steel demand falls, all of a sudden, you know, they go from making a billion dollars in a quarter to losing four billion, right? So it's it, Vestas kind of went through some of that too. And what they figured out is they don't need to manufacture everything. They need to focus on R and D. They need to focus on 
des- manufacturing like the core things, like the most critical, important things that are they're really, really good at, and then use more third-party manufacturing and let companies that can kind of leverage that manufacturing capacity across other industries, across other companies, kind of soak up some of that stuff. And and then it's really worked well for Vestas. It's helped, you know, it's helped soften. Their revenues are still kind of bumpy, but their cash flows, their operating cash flows are, are far more consistent over time. And it's created just a better opportunity for Vestas to continue to return value to shareholders. And again, you think about renewables, you know, we love to talk about solar, right? That's that's the thing. We see rooftop solar and all that kind of stuff. Two thirds of the of the of the solar market is utility scale, right? It's not it's not um it's not rooftop solar. And a hundred percent, practically a hundred percent of wind the wind industry is utility scale, right? So so these pricing still matters, right? But there's a lot more to it than just pricing. And it's essentially, I mean, there's, there's, you know, maybe a dozen of these companies out there, but the big ones are Vestas, General Electric, Siemens, and Siemens, there's a, Siemens has a, it's a, it's a venture that they have. And then a Chinese company called Goldwyn. Those are, along with Vestas, those are the biggest by far in the world. And they, they just, they don't, Get as bloodthirsty on pricing as we've seen so much with so much of the of the Chinese manufactured solar panel business um, because again they don't they don't necessarily have to because of the way the industry is structured. So I'm just I'm a really big fan of Vestas and, and I own far more Vestas than I own of of all of the solar panel makers out there that I do own and I only own a few but I own more Vestas than I do all the solar panel makers combined. Right, it goes back to that theme that we called out off the top of avoiding that commodity cycle and the nature of the supply chain, the nature of the product that goes into the wind industry makes it more difficult for that to fall into that trap. The other thing that's significant, and you mentioned this a little bit, is just the price increase of wind energy. So over the past 10 years, uh, uh, the price equivalent or cost of energy equivalent down by two thirds, which made it significantly more competitive. And then the new opportunity uh, over the past several years has been uh, a significant growth in wind energy, 21% CAGR since the year 2000. That's compound annual growth rate since the year 2000. And now the big opportunity is costs have come down so much that there's this opportunity in onshore wind. So if you look at at projections for growth in wind energy, expect onshore to, to continue to grow you know, about about even with GDP, but offshore to be a really significant grower over time. And that's an area where Vestas has some ability to invest as well and has really been top of mind uh, in Europe, you hear in the news just over the past few months. So, so how big of an opportunity is that for them, just in addition to what they've done historically? It's enormous. And they've done some joint venture stuff there that they've worked on, but they really haven't taken a huge step there. But it, because they are a pure play, because this is kind of where they live, I think it is definitely, it's an untapped opportunity that that Vestas is is I think if a decade from now Vestas is going to be a big player there. I really think that's that's going to happen. Yeah, I think I think of these Vestas is, is maybe my favorite on, on the list along the the lines of of Vestas. This next one is TPI Composites ticker TPIC, much smaller company, about a one billion dollar market cap, but they're playing into that those supply chain dynamics we talked about, Jason. That that makes wind maybe a little bit more attractive than solar from the panel perspective. Right, right. It's really interesting, right? So you think about these these wind turbines, right? They're they're stories tall. They're they're gigantic, and and each of those blades can be I don't know what 75, 50, 75 meters. They can be huge, right? That's just a single blade. That's one, and there's three hanging on these things. So here's the so let's talk about from a logistics perspective what where TPI composites fits in. So we were just talking about 
Vestas, the company that, you know, they make a living designing and manufacturing solar or uh, wind turbines. And now we're going to talk about uh, a contract manufacturer for the turbine business. So if you're Vestas or you're Siemens or you're any of these major players and you want to compete globally, you, you need you need infrastructure, right? So so here's the problem. There, there are some markets that have small pockets that are great for wind, but they just don't, you're not going to build a factory there, right? Because there's just not going to be enough demand to build a factory there because your fixed operating costs are not going to consistently be covered. So you're just going to lose money, right? Just to try to be in that market. So enter TPI composites. So this, this company manufactures the blades for Vestas, GE, Siemens. So Siemens Gamisa, I think is the, is the, is the, is the name there. Um, it, it works out to like about half of the global market share in onshore wind turbines. So the companies that make about half of the onshore turbines that are sold worldwide are, are TPI composites customers. That doesn't mean that it, that TPI makes half the blades. That just means that it does work for the companies that command that market share. Uh, and essentially, it, it does business with every company that makes uh, onshore wind turbines for for the U.S. and North America market. So uh, where they fit in, again, they're one of those manufacturers that, let's say there's an area where Vestas wants to be able to compete. Siemens is going to be there too, right? GE is going to be there too. It's going to be competing against all those those players. And they're all going to win some of the business. Nobody's going to win all of it. But you know what they're all going to do? They're all going to work with TPI Composite. So now TPI can have a factory that's going to support that market and build blades for everybody or almost everybody. And it can make money. And those pan those uh, those turbine manufacturers can be competitive in a market where they don't have a turbine blade manufacturing presence, right? So that's so that's where it fits in. Yeah, the, the the thing that comes to mind when you make that description, Jason, is a lot of folks are familiar with, with Taiwan Semiconductor. It's been in the news a lot this year. That's kind of the foundry uh, for that semiconductor business. Lot they don't design uh, chips all on their own, but but lots of companies use their resources, their infrastructure uh, to build and manufacture their uh, their semiconductors. And in this case, uh, TPI Composites is the company that, that is giving that infrastructure uh, to manufacture for these renewable energy companies, providing the scale uh, to allow this this business to work. Now, you lay out that thesis, it makes a lot of sense. What have we seen in the numbers and the operations from the business as far as executing on that plan? So yeah, if you look, you go from 2016 to 2019, uh, grew revenue almost, almost 90%, right? So there you go. There's a pretty clear indication uh, that it works. The the stock has has, has done relatively well. It's, it's gone up a lot this year. But again, I think the key things you look at is they've consistently added more uh, turbine partners, right? More wind turbine partners over time. I think that's really really important, and I think it indicates that there are some clear competitive advantages of its its model, which is the idea is that competitive advantage of you know high barriers to entry. Because it's a supplier to multiple people and the and the multiple competitors in that supply chain, the, it's impossible for those companies to get into those markets on their own. I think that's going to prove that that is going to be a really durable competitive advantage uh, for TPI Composites over time, and it's going to allow them to continue to grow their revenues, you know, at a, at a at a rate that's at least as quickly as the industry itself is going to grow, and potentially grow even faster than the industry. As more of its of its customers use it for more of its uh, more of their more of their their blades. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the the big thing is that that distribution all over the world. So they have manufacturing facilities in the USA, China, Mexico, Turkey, Denmark, India, and Germany. That that fixed cost investment already in place, and we already see uh, you know the big tailwinds uh, of, for wind energy. Going forward, another trend that I think I think is important for them and maybe maybe telling. We talked about part of the thesis being these things are so big they're difficult to ship that that you need to localize uh, production for for these for these uh, these these blades. So, so the logistics makes sense. Well, one trend we're seeing in wind energy is these blades are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The bigger these blades are, the more efficient they are. Whenever I saw that stat, the first thing I thought about is you know when you look at those old pictures of guys on bicycles where they've got the giant wheel on the front. Those were racing bicycles back in the day because it's more efficient to to, to turn that one big wheel uh, faster. And so that's that same type of dynamic uh, carrying out uh, uh, for, for wind turbines. And so obviously the bigger these things get, the more that competitive advantage of just the difficulties and the barrier to entry really, really comes to the fore for TPI composites. And you know, if Vestas wins, I believe Vestas is about 44 uh, percent of their customer mix as of most recent. They'll win right along uh, uh, with them. So I really like TPI composites. It's kind of the small, uh, small company that, that really has a lot of a lot of opportunity uh, to grow in this space. And they have another part of their business which is really, really small now, like less than five percent of the business, where they're they're trying to get involved in the transportation space, uh, making cabs for trucks and things like that. Maybe that has some potential over time, but right now the story is very much uh, on these uh, wind turbine blades. Any last thoughts on TPI composites, Jason? Before we move on, yeah, yeah, I just want to touch on that real quick. They are that you know, you know, you think about you know vehicle electrification and their focus on composites. They are they have like 300 engineers, so this is this is a pretty substantial R and D business as well. And they are, they're working on building composites. So you think about like Workhorse and some of these other electric truck companies, right? So you think about moving trucks and work vehicles and that sort of thing, getting the weight down and still having those vehicles strong and sturdy is important. And they're, they're positioned, that's an industry automotive that has always leveraged contract manufacturing and suppliers. So they're getting positioned for this next breed of that industry that's going to want to leverage that same thing. So I think don't sleep on that business. That business could be could be huge in a decade. Absolutely, and and it checks off those boxes, right? I mean, so whether whether if you if you throw this composite cab on a on an internal combustion engine vehicle, it gets lighter and more efficient. If you throw it on a on a battery electric vehicle, you get more range on your battery. So it's a win win on efficiency uh, for everybody uh, across the board. All right, so for our last uh, company in the baskets, also the biggest company in the basket, that's Nextair Energy ticker NEE, one hundred thirty nine billion dollar. Market cap, Jason. Why is Next Era Energy part of this renewable energy basket? Uh, because it's the largest utility that generates uh, solar in the world, right? I think that's their that's their big takeaway is that they are a huge uh, focus on renewable energy. They're the, they're the owner of Florida Power and Light, some other utilities, and they have some some businesses that uh, do wholesale energy. Uh, they're the the sponsor of Next Era Energy Partners, which is their primarily renewable energy focused yield co um they're they're really they're focused on on renewables that's 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 a very big part of their business i remember maybe two years ago might have just been last year but one of their executives on an earnings call made a statement that i think just really underpins so much of what's happening and 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 they said that they expected within five years the cost of renewable energy so whether it's wind or solar the production plus the cost of energy storage on a levelized cost basis meaning you don't have to worry about you know just the, just how much it costs to, to produce and, and generate and, and distribute the power uh, renewables are going to be cheaper than anything 
anything else, right? Even even the newest, most efficient natural gas uh, turbines, um, that's that's enormous, right? So that tells you they're looking at this, again, kind of like Brookfield, because you can make money at it, right? And oh, by the way, it's also zero emissions and, and better for the environment and all of those other benefits that are critically important. Um, and there's no... the, the, the I love that about the business, right? But here's what makes it really compelling. Florida is a big growing market. You know, you think about it's it's a big state. It's a state that's continuing to grow its population. It's a really dynamic place to do business. So a lot of businesses are moving there. People retire there. People are moving there to raise their families. And guess what? It's called the Sunshine State, right? So that, so it's a great market to develop renewables. And uh, they're taking advantage of that. They're taking advantage of those commodity wars that the panel makers are, are, are going through, the commodity wars that the battery manufacturers are going through to drive costs down. And, and I think it's going to continue to be a winning, a winning investment. It's a, it's a utility that's a growth stock, right? That's an anachronism if there ever was one. Yeah, that that that's what's crazy. So I I pulled some stats between 2004 and 2019. Nextera's adjusted earnings per share grew at a compound annual growth rate of 8.4 percent, while dividends grew at a compound annual growth rate of 9.4 percent. Really incredible growth over a 15-year period. Over the past five years, the stock is up 231 percent on a total return basis. Kind of crazy to get from a utility, and then throw on top. Uh, just in the past couple of weeks, the company announced a, a four-for-one stock split. A utility with that type of performance and a four. For one stock split, Jason. I mean, it's going it, to the moon. It's such an outlier when it comes to the utility sector. It really is. If you get it, you think about utilities. You know, historically, these are you know these are what is it? Um, uh, orphans and grandmothers, right? That's <laughs> that's it's, it's super slow growth, and they they pay cash. They just give all their cash flows out to dividends. And you know, if they if they grow two or three percent a year, and they pay a three four percent dividend yield, you're doing great, right? That's like a super big winning investment because they're secure, right? That, but that's the idea, right? It's it's lower risk, lower volatility, and they hold their value and you and you can get a relatively predictable return. It's very rare that you find a, a, a utility out there that's been able to grow at the rate that it has. I, I saw, I think it was floated. I don't know if it was a rumor and I don't know if anybody substantiated it. Didn't they just make an offer to try to buy Duke Energy? Did I, did I hear that? Yes, that was the rumor out there. And Duke Energy is the largest regulated utility in the U.S. This is a $60 billion company. Yeah, it's that the the, the reporting has said that that Nexter Energy approached Duke Energy and Duke Energy rebuffed that offer. But when you see this type of merger even floated out there, Jason, I mean, what, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, it was surprising, right? Um, but I think it's a reminder that this is a management team that's that's focused on, on building a bigger, building a better business. And I think they look at Duke and they look at the geographies that Duke is in. It's essentially uh, lines up pretty closely with with where they already are. They know the market. Um, I guarantee they have the data to know where they can roll out renewables in those areas that make them more cost effective, more cost competitive. And Duke's had some stumbles, right? I mean, it's 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 had some 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 struggles over the past few years with some of the things that they've attempted to develop on the hydrocarbon side. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a little scary when you hear about those kind of big mergers, but um, but this is I, I can't think of a better management team in the utility space than than the the folks at uh, Nextera. Or yeah, I think Nextera of this group, I would say. Um, 
it's it's the, probably the one I'm most confident in. They have this really strong track record of success, but it's also going to be the least likely to, to probably ten bag uh, um, uh, of this group. But such a strong management team, and again, the geography is such a huge advantage for them as well. The only downside I can think of, of being located in Florida is that every once in a while a hurricane is going to hit, and you're going to have to pay for insurance to defend against that. But other than that, uh, uh, things really set up strongly for for this business and and the business the market it operates in. Well, and with that in mind, you know, I, li- I live in California, and the wildfires have been the story of California for the past couple of years, and the utilities, and 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 they're in action to to do things to prevent the grid from a number one being a cause of fires, and b being hardened against it. And next year, uh, I think they're spending what three or four billion dollars to harden against so you know, things like burying power lines and that sort of thing to limit the the implications of both power loss but also the the risks of harm from a hurricane to their to their to their infrastructure yeah so that, that that's really important we're seeing you know in, in like as you mentioned in california some of the the negative effects of maybe not investing for the future and taking care of your infrastructure in the proper way so that's our that's our our basket for everybody if you've got a fun acronym you want to give us uh it's ntvab or the, the tickers here so i've got van TB and I've got Bant V. Which one of those do you like better, Jason? Ooh, I'm gonna have to think about that. That's, <laughs> uh, um, any honorable mentions that uh, you know you wanted to include on there, but but just didn't make the list for whatever reason? Yeah, I know we're we're gonna get some some folks that are gonna listen to this, and they were expecting to hear us talk about Solar Edge and Enphase and First Solar and some of the some of the usual suspects, and then they heard us talk about Brookfield again, right? <laughs> and and they heard us bring up Atlantica Yield again, right? And they heard us talk about Next Era Energy, which we've we've talked about before, and yeah, this is a dy- dynamic space, and there are other other companies um, in this space, but I think it's just it's important to remember that sometimes the best new idea is the one that you already own, right? Sometimes it's best to focus on the great companies that continue to be great. David talks, David Gardner talks a lot about, you know, winners keeping winning, right? And I think that's really important to remember in this space too, and not try to be too cute or too precise and buy that that, that marginal price uh, solar panel maker just because the stock fell 50% uh, when their competition might continue to be tough. So, but with that in mind, we did talk about Solar Edge, S-E-D-G, and Enphase, E-N-P-H. Solar Edge is a stock, stock advisor recommendation, I think, or is it uh, maybe rule breakers? Anyway, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pick in at least one of the services, maybe two. Uh, these stocks are very, they're pricey right now. And I will say this, I think it's worth thinking about if you don't own either of Solar Edge or Enphase, now, these are the companies that manufacture the the module level electronics, and they they control like ninety percent of the U.S. distributed solar market. So that's rooftop solar. Um, every solar panel that gets installed in in the U.S. now has to go through these panel level electronics to protect the grid, protect grid workers, um, and they they own that market right now, right? Uh, but they're really expensive. They're like six times and fourteen times sales, you know, for solar edge and Enphase. Uh, uh, and, and their, their valuations are really, really stretched right now. But with that, with that said, I own them both. And I, I would say with both, because they are dynamic and because they're growing and they're stepping into things like energy storage and solar edge is, is also stepping into like the electric vehicle powertrain business and, and, uh, you know, remote energy storage and, you know, remote backup and all that kind of thing. They have some, some really neat optionality and the growth is going to be awesome. These might be good just get some skin in the game, right? Buy a little bit. You know, maybe if you if you want them to be, you know, three percent of your portfolio when you finish buying, right? You want to spend three percent of your money on them. 
Start off and just buy 1%, right? Get some skin in the game and follow them. And as the market gives you better opportunities to add, maybe the shares fall just because we have a big market sell-off or something like that. Take that opportunity to add to them. But again, the thing is, I just I, the, the valuations are really stretched. And I think even great businesses, you have to pay a reasonable price for. And I'm a little concerned, especially with Enphase, that now is just too expensive. So I wouldn't suggest going whole hog on those, right? So, so that's what those said. Let's talk about solar panel makers. We talked a little bit about it. And you want to talk a little bit about our concerns with that space and just why we were, we didn't go any solar panel makers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, again, I, I, that's, that's why we let off with Brookfield. We let off with Atlantica. While the solar panel makers are getting killed on pricing and demand, guess who wins? The people buying the solar panels, right? So they benefit from the growth. They also benefit from the downturns in the commodity cycle that give them better opportunities to buy the, the equipment that's getting installed. So those are some real now with that said the industry is starting to consolidate right we're seeing some consolidation and that i think that's going to help and there could be some opportunities one of the reasons that i do continue to like first solar because they're in the utility scale business right that's that's where they focus and i think there could be some opportunity there um but again i, I think i would buy uh vestas over first solar you know every day of the week and twice on sunday um and also you look at a business like sunpower sunpower recently split off it's um it's solar panel manufacturing business. So now I own a little bit of, of SunPower. Um and I think it's an interesting follow now as a kind of an asset light R and D business, right? Because they they're not the panel makers anymore and they have some licensing agreements that are gonna generate a lot of their cash flows. So I'm watching. I'm gonna give it a year and really see how it plays out and then I'll consider if I want to add more. But again, it's it's not it's I don't think it's a core. I don't think it should be a core of that renew renewable energy basket. I think the companies that we talked about today are make up a far better core, and I think they should return in better gains and returns for investors, which is the whole idea, right? It's not just owning really cool businesses that do this stuff. It's the ones that are going to make you money, and, and I think that the ones that we put forth are the ones that get you there. Yeah, well, and and you know, uh, your mileage may vary. If folks want to disagree, uh, feel free to, to tweet us on, on Twitter, and uh, we'll be happy to happy to hear any of, uh, of your thoughts. Or if you have other other companies that we should look at on the podcast, uh, uh, please let us know. But I, I think that this group of of five companies, if you want to get some exposure into the renewable energy space in a way that uh, you can be comfortable and you can sleep at night and uh, and have some pretty predictable returns over time. I think you could do a lot worse uh, than this group that we gave you today. Jason, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us and share all your knowledge of this renewable energy space with us. It's too much to talk about in one episode, so we'll do more. And let's do that salinization one. That sounds like fun. Yeah, we'll uh, keep everybody on the edge of their seats for that one. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.